Hello and welcome to this Nutri Ingredients Asia podcast coming to you from Sydney at the Complementary Medicines Australia Summit where I'm delighted to say I've been joined by Ian Chant, a 25-year veteran of the industry here, Ian, to talk um, about the, the, the past few decades, the big changes we've seen in the industry here and what we can expect to see as we look ahead to the future. Your current role um, with Acabaya Marine is coming to an end in December as you head off a, a well-earned alleged retirement, but I, <laughs> I, I, I suspect you might be keeping your fingers in, in, in some pies in the industry. So, so let's start. Let's go back 25 years when you first came into this industry. Tell us what it was like in Australia then, because the industry's grown massively yeah. over the last two decades. Great, great to see you, Gary, and gee, the weather down here in Sydney is fantastic. So 25 <laughs> years ago, I joined the industry after after being a brewer, believe it or not. So, <clears throat> and uh, I joined Heron Pharmaceuticals. We were in OTC Pharma and, and did some stuff in terms of uh, uh, vitamin manufacturer. And uh, back in those days, it was really about grocery um, and some products in pharmacy mm. and um, quite a lot in health food stores. And it was really where people, um, you know, they. Um, they got most of their supplements or uh, supplements in those days really yeah. um, uh, in uh, in grocery but our times have changed yeah. now we see pretty much the majority of product being sold through pharmacy yeah. uh, discount pharmacy chains like the chemist warehouse and that's an interesting story in itself and what's going to happen with the merger between uh, uh, chemist warehouse and Sigma but it, the Health food stores have diminished. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to see some online. And you know, since 2019, we saw uh, Australia um, export a lot of products, either through Digals or through cross-border work. So yeah. we've really become a, a player in the region. Absolutely, and that shift in the retail landscape here is, is really significant. As you mentioned, yeah. Chemist Warehouse, absolute you know, giant. I walk around Sydney, I probably pass one every, every yeah. 200 yards. It's 600 of them. <laughs> absolutely, and, and as you mentioned though, this potential um, merger with Sigma now as well, that, that's over to the kind of competition authorities, but what impact would that have on the sector if that goes ahead, do you think? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I think that uh, so. I think the regulators are going to be looking at it from the perspective of whether or not there's competition. Yeah. Um, and certainly there has been competition <laughs> over the last couple of years. I suspect that it's it's going to make it tougher for smaller brands yeah. to to get a presence. Um, and I also see that the industry has moved away from um, an advice-based model and. Uh, Typically, people would, uh, you know, in those early days of pharmacy, they would go there for advice from a pharmacist about what products to take. Yeah, yeah. So that means that more, the way you educate consumers will change. Yeah, and and I 100% agree with you there about the impact on on smaller brands. I was in a chemist warehouse the other day, and a guy comes in, and I can't remember what he was asking for, but he's saying, "What's good? You know, what's good?" Yeah, yeah. And the, I won't mention the company. But the, <laughs> you know, the, the the guy in the shop clearly wasn't, you know, incredibly clued up on, you know, on the background or asking any questions. It was just kind of like, "Well, this brand's, you know, everyone likes this yeah. brand. Why don't you go for that?" So that level of advice, you know, has really really changed as well. And you mentioned a couple of minutes ago about the huge export. Yeah. success that you know Australia's had but you know that's shifted as well hasn't it you mentioned the Daigo and yeah. so on you know how's yeah. that looking how's that looking now 
Well, I've been talking to some uh, some brand owners in recent times, and it's actually ticking back up again. Yeah, uh, which is great for for Australia. And you know, Australia got to this position because of the regulatory environment. I would argue. Yeah, and and that's predominantly because. Um, products here are regulated as medicines not as supplements mm. and that brings with it a whole lot of quality uh, you know a high level of quality required high levels of evidence that you need to make claims yeah and so what that's done is with the consumer garnered a significant amount of trust uh, and that's not only an Australian consumer but an export consumer and that trust hasn't gone away while our regulator keeps and while our regulations and our quality of, 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 of manufacture is as high as it is um, we as a country are getting strongly supported yeah and, and as you say that reputation for for quality for integrity for manufacturing yep. procedures uh, you know especially in, in in Asia and in China yep. in particular you know it's really it's really helped the industry but there have been you know some some tensions kind of yeah. geopolitical tensions export yeah, tensions right. the issues around the daigo not being able yeah. to, to, to to kind of do so much during the pandemic so have the kind of channels and distribution channels retail channels changed over the last couple of years as well well i i haven't seen as much online coming into this market as i would have expected mm. and when i look at some of the other markets around the globe there's a lot more higher presence of online yeah and I, I still to this day don't understand why that's really the case. I suspect, however, that it's just about to go. Um, but um, uh, it's uh, um, when? Oh, probably yeah. five years away, but um, yeah. it's, it's creeping up, but not really all that fast. We've seen a, a number of Australian companies and, and the CMA as well, you know, I guess, kind of try to draw attention to other countries within Asia that are offering growth opportunities. We've seen a lot of activity in Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, India, for example, because I think there was a perception that there was an incredibly heavy reliance on, on business with China. What of those other markets kind of do you see where there's perhaps the most potential? So uh, in my discussion with uh, brand owners at the moment, um, India is a, a market of great attention, yeah. um, closely followed by Vietnam. And so I think you, you're starting to see some of those brands, some of those Australian brands, really focusing their attention into those markets to spread the risk, so mm. to speak. Mm. Um, but, you know, China's starting to fire back up again for us, and so sometimes people forget. <laughs> and, uh, but the opportunities for our industry are, are, I think, very good here in Australia. Uh, it's under. It's got a solid foundation. Yeah. I think some of the regulation moving forward, particularly around claims, around these mid-level claims, uh, you know, there's a slow uptake on it, but I think it's going to get stronger and stronger. And, and it's all about claims, the, the, the claims that you can make, and uh, and in the absence of uh, healthcare practitioners providing advice. Consumers are relying more and more on those claims that are on labels. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, there was a big change here in Australia a few years ago, wasn't there, with the, the regulations allowing mm. higher level of, of health claims, therapeutic mm. claims. And you've very modestly not spoken about your involvement in this. <laughs> but I think you were, were you the, involved in the first product to market or second product to market? You better, you better tell us a little bit about that. Yes, okay. Well, um, so I, I, I worked in conjunction with uh, Swiss. 
Arcobio, not I, Arcobiomarine worked in conjunction with uh, Swiss and the CSIRO, which is the premier research establishment yes. in, in Australia, uh, to develop um, a, uh, or to get uh, osteolalgia um, registration. We did a significant clinical trial on reducing pain associated with mild to moderate osteoarthritis and krill oil, and we were successful. We were successful in getting an OSTEL-A. That product uh, has all been approved. I think watch this space in the new year. It's going to be quite exciting. And I think there's going to be a great demonstration of what that TGA assessed logo really means on a label. Mm. Because it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's in, informing, potentially informing consumers that the regulator has actually assessed the, the the evidence and given it um, uh, some tick of approval. I say tick of approval, but that's probably not the right word. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of obviously a great benefit for for brands to be able to make these higher level of, of, of claim. But actually, how arduous is that process? How much time, effort, and crucially money yeah. has to has yeah. to go into to, to achieving that? Well, I think uh, it, it it was a significant effort. Uh, but having said that, I think if I was to do it the second time round, and uh, I've sort of got something in my mind at the moment, <laughs> um, I, 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 the pathway would be a lot easier. And I, it's like any learning experience, yeah. you know, the first time round, you, 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 you choose uh, pathways that uh, are a little longer. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, the next one. And, and the, the, the big area I'm interested in at the moment is. Uh, is you're probably familiar we've got a product called uh, Lyso uh, or called Lysoveta, which is um, a different form of Omega. Uh, it's uh, uh, the lysophosphatidylcholine form uh, has uh, it, that form of say LPC DHA, for instance, is taken up into the brain much 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 better than uh, other forms. So mm -hmm. there's some interesting research work that uh, we're about to embark on there. Let's just stay on the the, the omega three category because that's the one. Obviously, you know Australia is very well known. You yeah. know, huge, huge omega three sales in, in 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 Australia over the decades. Various ups and downs. Same, I think, in in overseas markets. How's the category, from your perspective, faring right now? Well, I actually saw the recent figures as of yesterday, yeah. and uh, the krill sector is up by value thirteen percent. Okay, um, which I'm. Please, what a way to go out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and believe it or not, the Omega-3 the omega sector completely has, has grown as well, mm. uh, not as much as, as, as Krill. And I think what we're starting to see is um, uh, consumers, uh, at, because pricing has gone up significant, uh, consumers are now starting to look for other options. Um, and in Australia, where the, the whole question of sustainability mm. is starting to, to come onto the horizon. In, in other markets, sustainability is much further advanced, but here it's, yeah. it, it, it's just starting to sort of bubble out um, underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, that wider sustainability point, I think is really important. It's a key theme of the, the, the conference that exactly. we've got, got going on, on here this week. I mean, I guess in terms of the omega-3 category then is there a risk that it's going to potentially lead people to look for more 
plant-based options, more of the, the algae, the seaweed, or, you, you know, kind of, what, what is the challenge there for the, you know, I guess, the traditional, you know, marine omega-3 categories? Yeah, so I, I, I so to answer your question, it, will it move more towards plant-based and algal-type uh, omega-3s? I think there's no question about that. Mm. We, we can see that, that, that trend. Yeah. Um, uh, in 10 years' time, I think you'll see a much, much higher percentage of algal um, amigas out there. I think uh, consumers, are, uh, as time goes on, brands are going to educate consumers about the different forms of of the amigas. We yeah. just treat amigas as a category, yeah. but in reality you have triglyceride forms, ethyl ester forms, phospholipid forms, LPC forms. That is going to be an interesting education uh, pathway. Absolutely. And the, the kind of broader sustainability agenda then mm. for consumers here in Australia starting to pay attention, what are the key issues that they have in mind? Is it where ingredients are sourced? Is it supply chains? Is it packaging? Is it, is it everything? Uh, well, I, I think uh, packaging has, is front top of mind for them mm. because it's the thing that they see. Yeah. Uh, and some, to some extent, some of the ingredients are a little bit hidden. Mm. But as brands start to talk about their sustainability position, it's yeah. be consumers are becoming more aware of it. And as brands start to use that as a point of differentiation, yeah. consumers prick up their ears, they're, they're interested in the health of the planet, mm. um, and uh, they go, oh, well, here's an option for me to, uh, to, uh, to consider, you know, in uh, the health of the planet. And it's the same with electric vehicles, you know. Consumers at the moment, would a lot of Australian consumers would love to have electric vehicles, but the challenge that they have is the, uh, the uh, charging infrastructure, yeah. and I guess the entry price to it. Yeah. So similar sort of thing will happen there when, with the sustainability message for uh, consumers yeah. in, in, in um, complementary medicines. Uh, I mean, I guess it just mirrors what we've seen over, you know, probably the last 10 years in the, in the wider food industry where, you know, most of the major players now are, are pumping out sustainability reports. They've got their sustainability yeah. initiatives. They're tracking stuff. Um, you know, and obviously that consumer interest is there. But with that also comes a level of risk that you know if you are reporting this if you're setting your objectives you've got to hit them and there's always the the allegations of greenwashing mm. that, that that you know certain companies get so you know how do brands i guess navigate that kind of risk and reward because it's it, it means a lot of investment often new departments new infrastructure it's uh, you know it's mm. not a, it's not a quick win is it saying we're on a sustainability yeah. agenda so it's I, 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 it's a challenge it's a very big question and uh, I guess the quick fix is all about going out and sort of getting some third-party accreditation. Yeah. Um, and that has some risks associated with it as well. I think the way ARCA has, has dealt with it is it controls the whole supply chain from Antarctica right through to the, the end. And we have a huge amount of transparency. So you just can't go wrong with with transparency. The more transparent you are, the, the more and the more control you have over the whole supply chain, the better positioned you are to be able to fend off any any, any challenges. It doesn't it doesn't that by itself is not enough. Accreditations and third party accreditations play a vital role because they're the the symbols or the icons that consumers recognise. But um, 
my advice would be the more you can control the whole vertical, the better yes. off you are. Yeah, absolutely. So as we as we start to wrap up then, Ian, let's let's have a little look to the future because you <laughs> kind of suggested, you know, at the beginning that that, that you know you were you were not going to be leaving the uh, the industry entirely. So you know, let's look at where you think the biggest innovation opportunities are for for the industry here in Australia because innovation is something we talk about all the time um, but you know effectively we're you know we're often still selling supplements in jars so where's the you know where's the opportunities yes look I, I think the first thing innovation's got to start with is understanding the needs of consumers mm. and so often it's about oh, you know we throw this thing out you know <laughs> and it's not hard to sort of really look at look at it you know there's uh, there's areas of and, and, and particularly in one of the areas of interest I've got is in the cognition area. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and for a reason, you know, <laughs> as I get older, I'm very interested in it. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, so I think uh, products and research in cognition will be uh, probably one of the uh, key areas. But, you know, you, you, the, we tend to sort of look at a new ingredient. Some of these ingredients just come in and they go round and round in circles, but they are reframed. So, so often we're reframing a, a product as this sort of, addresses this sort of need, and then in five years' time it addresses a different need. So I see, think we're going to continue to see the reframing. Um, I think there's some innovation in terms of dose forms mm -hmm. and delivery systems, mm -hmm. platform delivery systems that we need to do some work on yeah. uh, as well. And um, uh, I think we, one of the things that there's an opportunity to innovate in is innovate in understanding how to utilize regular, regulatory frameworks and things like free trade agreements. Yeah. And, you know, we, we tend to be so internally focused in organisations. Uh, organisations, if they really understand the global environment, the global digital environment, mm -hmm. that provides huge innovation opportunities for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, mirroring that, I would say from, you know, my experience in Asia is the the healthcare education system and, and the opportunities there. I mean, you know, Australia compared to, you know, many of the markets in Asia is incredibly advanced in terms of practitioner knowledge, you know, doctor's knowledge and, and, and so on of the benefits of complementary medicine. There's a long way to go, I think, in many Asian markets That's right. around that. And a huge opportunity to for industry to play a leading role in educating healthcare practitioners. Exactly, and and the role of, um, of uh, digital, yeah, uh, and e even in the way as a you know, organisations like yourself inform um, uh, uh, people in the industry. You know, I used to get, flick through an old magazine once in a, but now I get information coming into my mailbox on a regular basis, and the edu the education I get out of that, or the idea generation I get out of that, is fantastic. That, that's just. Love it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Ian, it's always an absolute pleasure to, to speak with you. Good to know you're not going to be disappearing entirely, and we look forward to hearing what you're up to in, uh, in 2024. But until then, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Gary, and enjoy the conference.